time is 3.30 and you're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley and KFCF in Fresno. Stand by for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the so divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadow out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is uh, December the 7th, 2004. December the 7th, yes, that's the day. That's the day. In 1941, many, many years ago, our bases in Hawaii at Pearl Harbor were bombed by the Japanese military uh It was two days after my eighth birthday. Gosh, yes, I was still opening my birthday presents. Spoiled child with rooms full of presents. It was a huge party. My mother's grandiose way of expressing herself. She hired a lady, you know, to do all the the games and to... There were piñatas and never mind, you know, the sort of thing that people did back in 1941. The presents filled two rooms. That was our last big bash in Tucson. My father took off for the war, the Great War, yes. Now that was the First World War, right. Then there was this, this was the Second World War, the Good War, right. He went down to San Diego to the Naval Hospital. Blood bank there, yes. And he got a commission, I remember, later he went out to the Pacific on a hospital ship, came home with his hair quite white. All I remember about that day, December the 7th, was that all the attention shifted away from me, from my grandiose birthday. War changes lives every moment of every day from one end of this globe to the other. Let's see, we moved to La Jolla, pretty little La Jolla, just a few miles from San Diego. My life was even prettier than it had been. But people we knew began to get killed. Even the medics, yes, got killed, you know. Sometimes they got killed more quickly than the combatants. It's curious, though, that I remember most about those years, oh, from 8 to 12, when I was a little kid and there was a war on. What I remember most is the closeness and the warmth and the affection. All those medics, you know, the the orderlies and the nurses and the doctors, um, we all sat around the fireplace and sang and we 
put out lobster pots and there was music and lots of booze and I got very good at being an abalone hunter, right? <laughs> anyway, the atmosphere was, well, like MASH, the TV show, but not really. But, you know, there was this strange camaraderie, um, a feeling of shared fate, great affection. Things were what we call in perspective, that is to say, when life and death are staring you in the face, you don't have so much time, you know, for materialism and all that. Uh, this present situation, what is called a war on terrorism, a war, is not only not comparable, it's almost antithetical. Today's imperial conquests on the part of these United States, these arrangements, these hideous what you'll call them, invasions, massacres, these things only divide us, only defeat us ultimately. Today's war is lost, lost just as we are. It's too much for me. All I can do is culture wars, yes, culture wars. Heads up, here's a heads up culture war that I can care about comes from the same period of time, yes, the 40s. Heads up, folks. Let me let me give you this little bit. Uh, it's the culture wars in the 6th December issue of the New Yorker, and it's all about this new movie, Kinsey. Now, most people have forgotten all about uh, Kinsey, but let's see. Uh, it says here that the recent release of Kinsey, a film about the famous mid-century sex researcher... Remember, he published um, uh, sexual behavior in the human male and then a few years later, sexual behavior in the human female. The second book got him into real trouble. Anyway, uh, this article goes on to say, it's a busy time for the anti-Kinsey movement. Most Americans no longer give much thought to Kinsey as a societal force. But his detractors believe that his significance can hardly be overstated. A recent newsletter of the abstinence education group, Why No, uh, this is spelled K-N-O-W, but they, they use capital letters for N-O, meaning why say no, abstinence only movement, yes. Uh, it compared the publication of the Kinsey Report in 1948 to the attacks of September the 11th. Uh, this group labeled Kinseyism 50 years of cultural terrorism. That's in quotes. Now, the founder, founder of this modern anti-Kinsey movement is Judith Reisman, R-E-I-S-M-A-N, Judith Reisman. She spent a week in Washington, D.C. recently talking to people on Capitol Hill. She wants to open a congressional investigation into Kinsey's work. She says the new film is, quote, deceptive and malevolently misleading, to say the least. Okay, this woman is 69, an independent researcher, Ph.D. in communications, a former songwriter for Captain Kangaroo. Anyway, she's president of the Institute for Media Education. She's the lead author of Kinsey, Sex and Fraud and Kinsey. Crimes and Consequences. 
In one article, uh, Judith Reisman describes Kinsey as, quote, a scientific and moral fraud, a certifiable sexual psychopath, as well as a sadomasochistic pornography addict and a sexually harassing bully. <laughs> anyway, uh, this lady, this woman, Reisman, has served as a consultant to the Departments of Education and Health and Human Services. Uh, Ronald Reagan's Justice Department gave her $734,000 with which to study pornography. Hmm. wonder if I could get that kind of money to study pornography. Anyway, this woman is uh, active in the rise of the abstinence-only education groups. That's her shtick. Uh, there is a note here in the article saying that none of Kinsey's, uh, Alfred Kinsey's four biographers have turned up any evidence that he was, um, uh, that he committed anything that could be called sexual abuse. He did interviews, you remember. Um, the root of the accusation, of course, is an interview that Kinsey conducted with the sexual predator. Uh, we see this in the film, get a glimpse of this hideous fellow. But anyway, uh, this woman, this um, uh, force for good in the community, Judith Reisman, uh, she's done a great deal of research on gays. She has written that the so-called recruitment techniques of homosexuals rival those of the Marine Corps. <laughs> That's interesting. The Kinsey paradigm, she holds, created the moral framework that makes such recruitment possible. Uh, she also endorses a book. This book is called The Pink Swastika. It challenges the so-called myths that gays were victims in Nazi Germany. Uh, she writes that the Nazi party and the Holocaust itself were largely the creation of, quote, the German homosexual movement, unquote. <laughs> Thanks to Alfred Kinsey. She warns, the American homosexual movement is poised to repeat those crimes. Idealistic, so-called, gay youth groups are being formed and staffed in classrooms nationwide by recruiters, too similar to those who formed the original Hitler Youth. Now, there's pages of this nonsense. You can find it, as I said, in the 6th December uh, issue of The New Yorker. Talk of the Town, written by Daniel Ro Radosh, R-A-D-O-S-H. And uh, <laughs> this this woman, oh dear, uh, she has a fantastic history, but uh, she's out she's out to hang Alfred Kinsey. Now, the movie itself, I cannot recommend too highly. Uh, what's startling to me is that the audience can still be shocked by this stuff. It's half a century ago, you know, but in the film, we see um, Dr. Kinsey showing his students explicit pictures of sexual organs, that sort of thing, and even today, you know that that's going to uh, upset a lot of people. There is a review of the film, also in the New Yorker, but this is in the November 29th issue, and basically what it tells us is that whatever else the movie does, it throws down the gauntlet in the culture wars. The tumult over Alfred C. Kinsey 
may be just beginning, it says. Ho, ho. <laughs> anyway, let's see. In the movie, you get a lot of what I would call uh, hands-on. In fact, um, there's a few discrepancies that we know of, but basically, um, basically the movie is uh, a good biopic. It's, it's kind of like a documentary in places, but uh, I say that in a, in a positive way. Uh, it's very enjoyable, and uh, I, I thought uh, it's the sort of thing I, I just hope that every uh, young person goes to see it because I'm astonished to discover that even today many young people are a little confused about sexuality. Uh, A lot of us felt back in the 50s that Kinsey was too clinical, too statistical, and that, of course, you know, this was a subject for poets, not scientists. But uh, that's a yes and a no. We need to get the facts straight first. Um... In the film, you see Kinsey denouncing the marriage manuals of his time. He says they're moralistic nonsense and don't even get the anatomy right. That's for sure. Uh, he's teaching at Indiana in the 40s, and he starts giving sex instruction lectures. And, yes, uses these slideshows of genitalia. In the meantime, uh, he's doing these statistical studies. And what he does is record the variety of things that men actually do, you know. In the old days, the assumption was that only perverts and deviants, you know, did anything other than what? (laughs) Marital sex in the missionary position? Anyway, the interviews reveal that everyone at one time or another is revolutionary. I think I was talking the other day on the air about the first time I discovered the Kinsey Report. I... uh, went to babysit for a doctor, and I couldn't put the thing down. I was a teenager, and uh, the mother of the children I was supposed to be taking care of came home, and uh, she asked how the children were, <laughs> went rushing in to check on them. I just uh, was, what do you call that, uh, glued to this book. Anyway, uh, in the movie, we see uh, Dr. Kinsey taking on missionary fervor, He has the good word on all things uh, like masturbation and oral sex and homosexuality. Uh, And the message is, of course, that we are not alone, that we are not different, that uh, the range of behavior is uh, infinite. Um, Actually, (laughs) yes, I remember, I remember thinking that, uh, that, uh, that men would, what is the word, um, well, not turn on exactly, but you see, the the point, of course, was that any discussion of sexuality is always assumed to stimulate uh, those watching. And, of course, it does in a way. There's my favorite joke in the movie. I don't want to give it away, darn it. But Kenzie writes the word stimulation on the board, and then he asks the students which um, organ in the human body, you know, can... Uh, uh, Go to from what is it? Go to a hundred times its size, you know, in a matter of seconds. And of course, he's talking about the pupil of the eye, uh, and he's misunderstood delightfully. But uh, we all know that stimulation, of course, begins with a look. Uh, it's the true erogenous zone. Uh, in any case, 
in the movie, uh, we do get several sides to this guy. Uh, Laura Linney is terrific as his wife. I just love her bad hair days. She, she looks exactly like women looked in the 40s. Uh, in any case, um, at some point, Kinsey does get out of line in the sense that, uh, well, as the review here says, it says, the master's attempt to establish a free love utopia in the academic garden ends in tears and fistfights. Of course, um, Kinsey did try too hard. Uh, I don't know. I think that the book on female sexuality is the one that uh, needs some serious study. Uh, and, of course, in the movie, it is shown that um, that's when he went too far. Nobody, as, as they say, nobody wants to know what their grandmother uh, is up to. Uh, I like the bits that showed us some of the 19th century horrors that lingered on into the 20th century uh, uh, terrible things that had happened to Kinsey's father, that sort of thing. Um, but I would recommend, if you are a serious student of sexology, that you run to a book called The Height Report. It's a much more recent study. I think it's maybe 10, 15 years ago. It's by Sherry Height, was her PhD. It's called The Height Report. It's a very modern study of female sexuality and Unlike all the work that went before, it is not Faust-centric. Uh, in the Kinsey film, he does point out that the female vagina is not necessarily uh, the place for the best stimulation. But uh, anyway, it's uh, the, the Sherry Heights book actually tells us stuff that some of us might not know or might not be quite sure about even today. It also gives even more permission for people to have various and, uh, what would you call it, uh, uh, not, not the same, what is it, the same old, same old. Uh, I'm one of those old-fashioned people who still thinks that an orgasm is a pretty important thing. <laughs> but uh, check out Sherry Heights' book if you want to find out more about not just sex, but sensuality. Now... I have just a tiny minute here. I had meant to spend the whole hour today telling you about what I'll be doing at the Kipifei Holiday Crafts Fair. I ran off a reprint of my movie book, which is um, so much better than I remembered. What a clever girl I am. Uh, yes, and so I have another hundred copies of this. Let me just read you a little snatch. Uh it's called Mind Over Media, and it came out of many years of being a film critic and years and years of stewing over the fact that um, my children were growing up with television, and of course I didn't. I had no no television set until I think my first pregnancy. My uh, father brought one over to the house. I was 25, 26 by then. And uh, he said, here, uh, go to bed early, don't do any theater, go to bed early and watch this guy Jack Parr, he said. He uh, said, you're going to be ill like your mother. He said, and, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to uh, uh, keep up the pace you, you've got. And I remember at the time thinking it wasn't work, worth it, and I went back to the books. Uh, at the same time, 
I just realized, I think, oh, about the time my children were 10, that uh, the difference between my generation, the generation raised without the two, without the television, uh, that generation gap is probably bigger than any in history. Uh, of course, we had a movie or two on the weekends, but you had to go to the library. You know how it is. You had to go and find things. They weren't just right there in front of you. Uh, in any case, let me read you a little bit of the epilogue from Mind Over Media. I'm still trying to figure out... Uh, this brave new world, this new age in which we have to be literate in images. Uh, my epilogue begins in Oscar Wilde's work, De Profundis. He writes that most people are other people, that is, their thoughts are someone else's opinion. D.H. Lawrence wrote that most men don't know their own feelings, only the feelings that have been diddled into existence by the exploiter. While I am not quite so pessimistic about my race, I do believe some of us have lost touch with our deeper feelings. Our sensibilities are exhausted. The humiliations and deprivations of modern life blunt the feelings and crush the spirit. The meaningless quality of much of today's so-called work is just as dehumanizing as the overwork suffered by earlier generations. We are distracted at every turn. Somehow, we no longer have leisure. Vacations, yes, but no time to really think. No time to absorb and reflect on what is happening to us. I have a footnote here, yes, I think of that uh, wonderful line from the great Sir Francis Bacon. Yes, he said, some books are to be tasted some swallowed, and uh, some few to be chewed and digested. It's the same thing with everything that comes along. Uh, I uh, was talking to a friend the other day, and she'd forgotten the movie we saw the day before, and <laughs> I made a note, you know, underneath her name, Lacks Retention, right, Nothing seems to stick. Everything just seems to, to uh, melt. It's the sieve, the sieve theory of uh, uh, criticism, yes. Anyway, in my epilogue to Mind Over Media, I go on to say, this gloomy state of affairs is due in no small measure to the political system under which we live. In most circles, the critical faculty is suppressed or treated with suspicion, primarily because it interferes with consumerism. Consumerism is our national religion. Actually, I'll update this and say it's our international religion now. Life itself is a commodity to be bought and sold. The ad men and ad women will do damn near anything to pick our pockets. Greed stains our culture, soaks our sensibilities, and has replaced grace as a sign of our intimacy with the divine. Our so-called critics must make their livings by accommodating the sleaze and soap opera 
that make up the bulk of popular art. Most of this material is tainted with a pornographic mindset. That's the mindset which believes that things and people can be had. Cars, women, countries, the earth itself. A sadomasochistic premise underlies much of our storytelling, portraying souls without longing in a world without feeling. And then there's a great deal more here about the death of the heart. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, I know it's alive somewhere. It's beating somewhere. But let me skip on to a section here about the 1980s, the late 1980s, when the screen was hit by a wave of sadomilitarism. <laughs> yes, the Reagan years, things began to swing back. It began with Rambo-mania. These revenge pictures were dismissed by serious critics as cartoons, but they broke box office records around the world. Images are mysterious like icons. They tend to persuade us to worship them. A savage satire like Full Metal Jacket and sentimental pictures like Platoon and Gardens of Stone while billing themselves as anti-war pictures are simply waves in the wake of a warrior cast waiting in the wings for a chance to go to war again. Oops, another parenthesis. Boy, was I right about that. Along came George Herbert Bush, and he said, we got to kick that Vietnam syndrome. And I get it up again, boys. Okay, let us go on with the essay. If immorality is only the failure of the imagination, and I think it is, then the cynicism and sentimentality of the age are the malade de fin de siècle, the malaise at the end of the millennium, an unease which may presage rebirth, and an end to the dark age depression and decadence of our time. Well, that was too hopeful, another parenthesis. The end of the 20th century did not bring about a new awakening. No, 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 it didn't. In any case, let me skip along here. Uh, once upon a time, I used to ask my new friends and acquaintances to tell me their three favorite myths or fairy tales. You know, I wanted to to figure them out. I don't ask people their signs. I ask them their favorite movies. Uh, nowadays, as Pauline Kael pointed out, more couples are likely to break up at the movies than, you know, uh, over an orthodox religious choice. She loves the red shoes and he's into Bad Day at Black Rocks. Men's pictures versus women's pictures. Kind of a new course in cultural anthropology. <laughs> we call them the, the chick flicks and the dick flicks. The uh, action pictures, of course, make the most money because they don't even require uh, language. And they are, of course, breaking all the records all around the world. Uh, the worst ideological splits occurred in my youth when we tried to drag a young man to an Angmar Bergman picture. If he could sit through a Bergman picture, he passed the test. 
But from Garbo to Brando, the movies have mirrored our moods and myths for more than a century. Uh, let's see now. The three favorites. My father's favorites were The Informer, 1935, Odd Man Out, Irish again, 1947, and The Third Man, the one with Orson Welles in it, you know. That was 1949. My older sister liked Black Narcissus. It's by the same guy who did The Red Shoes. Portrait of Jenny and Gone to Earth. See, that's 48 and 51. Portrait of Jenny had Jennifer Jones in that um, lovely gloomy movie with uh, <laughs> Ethel Barrymore and uh, Joseph Cotton. It's a dream of a girl from another time. Gone to Earth was a miraculous uh, movie. I think they changed the name here in the United States to The Wild One, uh, not the Brando picture. It was a wonderful story with Jennifer Jones as a witch, uh, an earth woman, a pagan. I hope to see some of you at the Holiday Crafts Fair this Saturday. I'll be there both days, all day. Uh, my table is just on the left as you come in. And uh, I have four books and a stack of tapes. I'll see you there and we'll have a little coffee and talk a little treason. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, Go as easy as you can. Que viva la revolución sexy. Friday, viernes.